Hi, welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. My name is Becky and you have joined us for our series, Seven Stories, where we're looking at some of the standout stories that Jesus told over 2,000 years ago. Although these stories were told long ago, they are uncannily relevant and applicable to our lives today. So get yourself comfortable and let's begin. I know that writing stories is not an easy thing to be able to do, and I know that many authors would say that they really, really struggle uh, to be able to pull their story together. But, but stories have such an impact on our lives, don't they? Uh, and they do just raise emotions within us. Uh, they can kind of bring a moral element to them too. Uh, and so we're looking at seven stories that Jesus told over this series. We're into uh, week six of this. Lots of Jesus' stories are, in fact, very, very short. Um, uh, and so we're going to come on to this sixth story uh, today. But before I do, I just want to um, make an observation. I think you can tell a lot about a person or about a family by what's on their TV planner. I do. Uh, because uh, if you were to come to our house and you were to switch on our TV, uh, you would discover on our Sky Planner that there are an awful lot of sporting um, uh, things being recorded and a lot of comedies because I like sport and I like comedy. Sadly, you will also find Sarah Beanie, Escape to the Country, and Location, Location, Location. You mad people, you mad people, Uh, because that's what uh, Sarah likes. And actually, you will also find Trevor programs. Now, you won't know who Trevor is, but Trevor is an 86-year-old who comes to our house um, every Thursday evening. Uh, When uh, his close friend died, who lived next door to us, um, Sarah and I just invited him to come uh, each Thursday. So he will, we have this little ritual that he arrives at half past five, bang on. And, um, uh, and then we sit and talk for a little while, and then we will have our meal, and then it's watching something on telly. And so um, uh, Sam and, and my kids, if they look through, they go, oh, it's a Trevor program. Uh, because it's either royal uh, or it's history. And so um, every now and again, we just record stuff which we think that, uh, that he will like uh, so we can sit and watch it. And the other week, Sarah recorded a program called Edwardian Britain in Colour. Uh, we party in our family, I tell you. It's so good, so good. And uh, so we were watching this old footage, and uh, part of the focus of uh, of those films was the suffragette movement um, uh, and their fight to allow women's rights uh, to vote. And the campaign for women to vote kind of started in the 1870s, and their tactic was primarily to get the law to change through Parliament, and so that they would, um, uh, they would keep putting in uh, bills to try and get the law to be changed, but uh, nothing ever happened. It just got talked round and round until it got talked out. Nothing ever happened. So in 1903, a lady called Emily Pankhurst Um, And her daughters, amongst others, formed the Women's Social and Political Union. And they were fed up with it just being about words. And so they decided to take on very different tactics. They broke windows. They set lights to um, uh, to houses and places. Uh, They chained themselves to railings. When they were arrested, they went on hunger strike. All for the cause of trying to get a vote for women. One of their taglines, that's uh, Emily Pankhurst uh, just there, Emmeline, sorry. Um, One of their kind of taglines for for the whole suffragette movement was this. It's deeds, not words. Deeds, not words. That's that's what they kept on promoting. It's deeds. It's not about talking round and round. It's about deeds. And 
there were two kind of, well, there were lots of famous incidents um, that took place. Uh, one of them I just thought was really funny. A lady called Mary Maloney. Um, we had Winston Churchill's seat. Well, he went up to Dundee during the by-election, and whenever he set up a podium in, in which to talk to the crowds, this lady, Mary Maloney, had a school dinner bell. And so as soon as he started speaking, she would start clanging it right next to it. So, of course, no one could hear what he was saying. And, of course, it got the attention and the news uh, and that kind of stuff because they were doing anything they could to get their voice heard because they wanted to see change in society. In fact, it was in the um, 1913 Derby because it was the Derby yesterday, another one of those big sporting events. Uh, that none of us watch. Um, anyway, it was um, happening in, in 1913, and uh, a lady called Emily Davison decided that, uh, well, they're pretty sure that she wanted to try and get a ribbon from, um, uh, from the suffragette movement onto the king's horse. And so as the race was running, as they came around, is it Tattersall or Tattersall? Yeah, okay, uh, around that corner. Uh, it was the third to last horse, and this lady stepped out onto the course, got hit by the horse, and four days later died. And it was all because it's deeds, not words. And so when she was buried, there were so many people at the funeral because she was one of the leading people of the suffragette movement. This was on her gravestone. Deeds, not words. Now, rightly or wrongly, their methods got attention. But when in... um, 1914, the First World War started, lots of those political groups came together to work together towards the war. And in 1918, uh, the ruling was changed, and so women over the age of 30 could vote. And in 1930, that was then lowered down to the age of 18. They didn't do the protesting to be liked. They did it to force a change in society. And their slogan? Deeds, not words. In other words, it's what you do that makes a difference, not just what you say. Because actions speak louder than words. We know those phrases well. And this is at the heart of the story that I want us to be looking at um, today uh, that Jesus told. And we're going to come on to that in just a moment. But just look at those words. Deeds, not words. We hate it when deeds don't coincide with the same words. We hate it when people say one thing, but then they do another. And of course, we have a term for that person. That person is a hypocrite. Absolutely. And the term hypocrite comes from a Greek word, which basically means stage actor or a pretender. And so every time we say something, but we do something different, we are are being like a stage actor. We are just pretending. In fact, we're a hypocrite. A man called Karl Rahner, who was a, uh, a Catholic theologian, um, uh, wrote some brilliant things. This is one of um, uh, the kind of the famous quotes that he once said. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. Those who proclaim God with their mouths and deny him with their lifestyle is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. I don't know whether you've had conversations with friends at work or, or colleagues or uh, at school and uh, you've talked and um, you've talked about church and it's like they'd say, I'll never go to church. Church is full of hypocrites. Yeah. And maybe they're right. But actually they are right, aren't they? Because to be honest, all of us, at some point, we will say one thing, but we will do something else. It's just part of life. 
that sometimes we cover up something, but we say one thing and we do something different. I tell you, when that happens, it's so destructive to our hearts, but it's also so off-putting for others because people think, well, you can't trust Christians because they say one thing, but they do something else. And if you, if you're here today or if you're watching online, and perhaps you are watching online because you don't want to come to a church, uh, because you've been put off, because you've seen hypocrites who are part of a church who say one thing and do another. If that's your experience, I just want to say I'm so sorry. If you're here in the room, I'm sorry. We don't always get it right. Uh, and, And I'm desperately, desperately sad about that. But do you know what? I am so grateful we have a God who is forgiving But there are times when we also have a God who gives us a good kick up the backside. It's true. And maybe today, in today's story, that's what Jesus wants to do for us uh, here. So Jesus told lots of stories. You'll find them. There aren't just seven. There are loads uh, that you find uh, in the New Testament, in the accounts of his life. Uh, And uh, people call them parables because a parable is this. It's to place something alongside something else. And Jesus would always do that. He would take a well-known kind of situation or story that people would know. And then he would place a truth about God or about life or about you and me alongside that so that we learn something from the story. He doesn't always explain it, but today's story, he does a bit. So I want to give you the context, because you still don't know what the story is, do you? You know it's two sons, but you're still trying to think, what's the two sons story other than the prodigal son? Well, you're going to come on to it. This was the final week of um, Jesus' life before he was um, crucified. And what had happened is he had made his way into Jerusalem. And there were crowds that were lining the streets. They were so excited because they thought he was going to come to rescue them from the Romans. It's a little bit like what's going to happen in Liverpool this afternoon because, of course, they won the Champions League. If you put it on record, I'm sorry, I've blown it for you, but they did. They won 2-0. And um, Liverpool are going to be on an open-top bus and they're going to be going through the streets. And they're saying there are going to be tens of thousands of people there lining the streets to welcome Liverpool. When Jesus was um, uh, making his way into Jerusalem, he didn't have an open-topped bus. He had an open-topped donkey. Uh, And so that's what he made his way in. And he made his way straight to the temple. Uh, And again, for many of the crowds, this was really exciting. Because when he went into the temple, he went up to the tables where the money lenders were. uh, And the tables where they were selling the sacrificial animals at extortionate prices. And he picked the tables and he turned them over. Money went everywhere. Birds flew everywhere. And it was chaos within the temple and people were thinking what is this man doing this is exciting and then Jesus touched some people and they were healed and again his popularity was so strong apart from the leaders the leaders of the temple the leaders of the religious um, uh, orders there they hated him they really hated Jesus one they were so jealous of his popularity so jealous, but they hated because he would say things which were different to what they were saying. He brought a different kind of life to, uh, to a faith in God, which they didn't have, and they hated it. And so what they would do is that they would ask questions to try and trick him. And so when Jesus returned to the temple, this is how Matthew's gospel um, gives an introduction to today's story. The leading priests and elders came up to him and they demanded... By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Now, that's a legitimate question. 
you know, Jesus doesn't live in Jerusalem, so he's come into Jerusalem. He's done this kind of um, strange thing, this very disruptive thing. And they're saying, how could you dare do that? It's a little bit like someone walking in today and, and looking at that and getting some rocks and smashing that projector and say, you shouldn't watch films in church. You'd say, who gives you the right to do that? This is not your church. And so it seems like a legitimate question that these priests were asking, but actually it was just a trick. They were just trying to catch Jesus out. And Jesus knew that. And so his answer was so clever. It was so shrewd. This is what he says. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John, that's John the Baptist, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Now, to give you a bit more context, John was Jesus' cousin. He was known as John the Baptist and he was an odd character. He wore odd clothes, he ate strange food, but he was a brilliant communicator. And so people would travel all over the place just to listen to this man uh, speak. And what he would do is he would call people to turn to God, to change from their old way of life, and to live God's way. This is how Matthew records it, one of Jesus' followers. People poured out of Jerusalem, Judea and the Judean, um, Jordanian countryside, to hear and see him in action. There at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptised into a changed life. So the mark that a change was taking place in someone's life, that they were wanting to follow God, was to be baptised. It's this idea of washing away their old life and, and their sins and making a fresh start. And when John realised that a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it had become the popular thing to do, he exploded. Brood of snakes, he said. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snakeskin is going to make any difference? And here it comes. It's your life that must change, not your skin. And John had not been popular with the religious leaders because he preached about life change. He preached about making a difference. One of other Jesus' um, followers, uh, a man called Luke, would, would talk about it. He would go on to say this. He says, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? What's the change that should take place? And he says this, show your honesty, he replied. Make sure you collect no more taxes than the government uh, requires of you. In other words, there's going to be a change in how you're living. Others, the crowds, the crowds asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. Give the checked one to the poor. That's right. And if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. And then there were others who were coming up uh, too. You happy to go on to the next one? What should we do? Asked some soldiers. And John replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people of things you know they didn't do. And be content with your pay. Deeds, not words. It's more about what you do than about what you say. You don't just believe it, you have to live it. And so going back to Jesus' question, did John's authority to baptise come from heaven or was it merely human? This was a brilliant question because they were squirming at this point. They talked it over amongst themselves. You can almost see them going off in a little hubbub. What should we say? How do we answer that one? If we say it was from heaven, 
He will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believed John was a prophet. And so they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And then comes the story. It is such a short story. But what, if you think about this, a man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changes his mind and went anyway. And then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? Jesus asked. And they replied, the first. Now this sounds like such a familiar family situation. Go and do your homework. Go tidy your room. Go and sort this. And some will say yes and not do it. And others will say no, but will eventually get around to it. Sarah asked Rachel a number of years ago to mop the kitchen floor. um, uh, Rachel got the bucket, got the mop out, mopped the kitchen floor, and then just left the mop and bucket in the middle of the floor. And so Sarah decided that she wasn't going to get on to Rachel about this, but obviously Rachel should put it away again. And so um, she put it in front of the door that Rachel was on the other side of. And Rachel opened the door, stepped over the bucket and the mop, and then carried on. (laughs) So we decided we were not going to let this one go. Every room that Rachel went into, we followed her. And we laid it across the door. And so when Rachel would, she would open the door, she would just step up. We did it at night time. And so she had to get up to go to the loo. She would have to step over the mop. When she got up in the morning, she would have to step over the mop. And we, this went on for over a day. And uh, we eventually said, Rachel, do you see the mop? And she said, yes, every time. She says, why? I didn't want to put it away, she said. So, so this, is, this is family life, isn't it? Well, it's my family life anyway. Oh, boy. But this is what was going on in Jesus' story. And of course, every time Jesus has a story, there is a parallel that runs alongside it. So it's not just to entertain, it's to be able to make a point. And Jesus explains the meaning. Now, Jesus doesn't always explain meaning. So sometimes people will just listen to the stories and say, great story, but not really have a clue what it was about. Jesus goes on to explain the meaning. I tell you the truth, he says, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. He says to the religious leaders. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. The religious leaders appeared to be saying yes to God, but they were disobeying him. They were phonies. Their heart were hearts to whatever it was that God was saying to them. They were to be representing God to the people, and they were doing it so, so badly. So badly. So when John came and says, you need to repent, they would say, what of? We're fine. And Jesus says, but in contrast to you, you arrogant bunch. He says, there are prostitutes and tax collectors who appeared to say no, that their lifestyle exposes that they'd said no to God. But they're the ones who turned from their sin and accepted God and his way and baptized into a new life. They're the ones who acted on what God said and chose to live a different life. Why? Because they chose deeds, not 
words. What did Karl Rahmer say? Karl Rahmer, the German theologian, the number one cause of atheism is Christians. It's those who proclaim God with their mouths and deny him with their lifestyle is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. See, maybe the story, that little story that Jesus told is as applicable now for us as it was in the day in which he said it. Because because it's this. You see, a life of faith is about a relationship with Jesus that leads to a life of action and obedience. If you want to know what a life of faith is, this is what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus that leads to a life of action, of deeds, and of obedience. Jesus said in another story, the story of two builders, he once said this. He said, anyone who hears and obeys these teachings of mine is like a wise person. If you listen, but if you obey too. James, the brother of Jesus, said something very similar. You find these themes repeated, repeated, repeated because they're true. So James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote a really short letter at the end um, of what we call uh, the Bible, he said this, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Why? Because it's deeds, not words. Listen, if you're someone who is considering faith, if, you're, if you've been interested, perhaps you're watching online, perhaps you're here and you've been invited by a friend and you've come back and you're just exploring and you think, what, what is there in this for me? What is this life of faith about? I, I want to tell you that, um, and in a sense I want to warn you, that, that following Jesus will mean a life change for you. And it's a two-way thing. When someone makes a commitment to follow Jesus, God gives um, what's known as the Holy Spirit to come and to live. It's God's presence in us. And the reason why God gives us his presence is so that the person, the character of Jesus can be expressed through our lives. And so he says, and our kids are covering this, both Little Village and Uptown Kids, at the moment, they are just starting a whole series on the change that God brings to a person on their inner life. And they're looking at love today. Because that's what God will change in you. He will, he will develop a love, not only for God, but for others too. And a joy and a peace when life gets frightening and life is scary and it seems to be going chaotic around us. God does a change from within. But he also calls you and I to make a change in some of our lifestyle choices that we make. So if you do everything you can to dodge taxes then you need to start being honest, Jesus says, if you're going to be following me. Because Jesus talked about that. If money is your security, and so basically um, uh, you do everything you can to accumulate as much money, because that's where my security and happiness is, uh, Jesus says that's going to have to change. He calls to a different lifestyle, a lifestyle not not of gathering in, but of giving away, of being generous. That if you harbor um. A bitterness, and if you harbor unforgiveness towards someone, you will need to choose to forgive, and you'll need to do that over and over and over again. And that is such a hard thing to be able to do. But Jesus says, Because I have forgiven you, you now demonstrate that in forgiving others. 
Jesus spoke about forgiveness. Oh, he doesn't let anyone off. If we want to be a follower, we have to take action. We have to follow and, and obey what he says. And if you're newer to faith, if you've made that commitment already, you will have some tough decisions too. Because if you're not baptized yet, you need to get baptized. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever read, when it feels right, get baptized. When you've got to a certain stage, or if you've attended a few classes, you ought to be able to get, it never says that. It just says two things. We have to repent, which means a change of heart and mind. It means thinking differently, which is what God calls us to do. To repent, and it involves saying sorry for the things we've done wrong. But it says repent and be baptized. And so you might be here today, and the reason God has got you here today, or the reason God has got you watching today, is because he's saying to you, look, it's time you start doing what I say. And the outward demonstration of the inward life, that change that God brings, is through baptism. We have a baptism coming up on the 23rd of June. We've got one person at the moment. There ought to be a lot more. And so if you are interested in getting baptized, then um, speak to Helen afterwards, who's been um, hosting this service, uh, or you can email in at info at forgechurch.com. Uh, just let us know, and we'll be able to include you. And if you can't make that date, that's fine. We will, we will fill a, a baptismal pool, which is basically a paddling pool, out there every week. We will do it. Very happy to do that. If it means that we're following what Jesus says. You'll need to start using your passions and your God-given gifts for him. That's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in energy. But it's part of the life change that God wants to bring to us. And where relationships are broken, God calls us to say, you need to do all that you can to put those relationships right. Do all that you can. As far as it depends on you, says um, uh, Paul as he writes to uh, some Christians. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, the people who will look to bring peace between folks again. And some of us here have been Christians a number of years, and we've either got a bit smug or we've got a bit complacent with regards to our faith, because we like to think that we're mature because we've been Christians a number of years now and we've been involved in church. And so we do Christian things like praying out loud and we share our knowledge of the Bible but for some of us, we've stopped setting an example in serving the poor, of feeding the hungry, of the very basic thing of loving others. Do you know what? If we don't, if we're not careful, what can happen is that we can become quite critical of other people. And when that happens, that starts to destroy something in our hearts. And it ends up with us being judgmental. No one likes judgmental people. And so God says... It's not about making judgments on others. It's about loving others. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And for some of us here, that's what we need to be doing. We need to step outside of our, our, our little friendship groups. And we need to start loving people, people who are different to us, people whose lifestyle is different to us. And we're still to demonstrate love to them. We cannot sit back smugly. For some of us, we have stopped giving sacrificially. For some of us, we have stopped inviting friends because that's for other people to do. For some of us, we've stopped serving as we feel we've done our part. Do you know what? There is no retirement process that Jesus ever set up for his followers. Never. So whether you are 20, 
15, 50, 80, God's still got more for us to do while we're breathing. I promise you. So God says, Jesus says, we've still got to serve. We've still got to give. We've still got to invite. We've still got to speak about our faith to others. And some of us have stopped doing it. And you're here today because God is wanting to remind you that it's deeds, not words. It's putting into practice, putting into action what Jesus says, not just believing it. So which of the two obey the Father? They replied, the first. Do you know what? A life of faith is about a relationship with Jesus that leads to a life of action and obedience. Jesus told the story because he wants us to obey him. Because that's the sign of real faith in him. But there's that other yellow word just there, relationship. And I want to finish with this. A guy called Pete Gregg, who is an author, and he's been a church leader. And he started what's known as the 24-7 uh, prayer uh, movement. Uh, a brilliant guy. I heard him speak at this just recently. And this is something which he wrote and said uh, a while back. He says this, can I be honest with you? This is a person who started this prayer initiative. I'm actually not that into prayer. It's Jesus I'm into, so we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God, and so I ask for his help a lot. I'm not into evangelism. I hate evangelism. And everyone says amen. He says, I'm into Jesus, so I just talk to people about him. I'm not into social justice, I'm into Jesus, so I find myself picking fights with his enemies. I'm not into worship, all those soft rock songs over and over again. <laughs> I'm into Jesus. So when I see him, I smile, I bow, and yes, okay, I admit that I sing quite a bit too. I'm not into church, have you seen the state of it? But I'm into Jesus, so I like his people. And they're a little weird, but hey, so am I. And then he just has this little statement, the vision is Jesus. See, it starts with a relationship. It's not about deeds and words. It's about a relationship, but it's out of that relationship. It's deeds, not just words. Some of us need to stop being Christians for a bit, he says. We're just too good at it. It's become habitual. We are over familiar with holy things. We talk to God and he talks back for crying out loud. This means you're either insane or experiencing an actual living, conversational, interactive relationship with the creator of the cosmos. No middle ground. You're insane or a saint. And Jesus was so uninterested in starting a religion that he never thought of a name for this new way of life. Never started a Bible school, never wrote a book, avoided the rich and famous, and barely stuck around long enough to secure succession. Because the way of Jesus is viral, not structural. It's relational, not religious. It's revolutionary, not predictable. You see, faith is all about Jesus. And Jesus told a story that if you follow me, then you will obey. And you will live a life of action and obedience. And my question to you this morning is what is God saying to you that you need to stop putting off, stop just talking about and actually take action and do what it is that he's saying? Who's the person to speak to? Where's the water coming from to get baptised? Who's the person to uh, forgive or to love or to invite around for a meal? 
Who is it that you should be feeding? Who is it you should be clothing? Jesus had lots to say about it. Let's not brush it away. Let's put it into action. So can I ask that we stand, please? I want to pray for us because I believe that for some of us um, here this morning or even watching online, uh, there will be something that has come to mind. It might not be anything that I've mentioned, but there is something that has come to mind, which means that God is prompting you to do something. And my question is, are you prepared to do it? Who's the one who obeyed the dad? It was the older son. Even though he'd said no, he then later went and did it. And it's the doing it which is so important. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for each person here and each person watching where you have spoken to us, where you have asked us to do something, to take a step forward, a step towards someone, a step towards an action that could change someone's life, a step away from something that we know has been wrong and to choose a different lifestyle, to choose your lifestyle. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit and give us the power to take that step, whether it's towards or away from something. Help us to take that step, to take action, because deeds, not words, are going to change things. So help us, Lord, to be followers of you, having a relationship with you, which then leads to a life of action and obedience. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep the conversation going, so make sure you follow us on our social media accounts at Forge Church. If you want to see or hear more about The Forge, check us out online at forgechurch.com, where there's an opportunity to find out more, a chance to give, and to browse previous series. See you next time.